Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to the New Books Network. I'm one of the hosts, Dr. Miranda Melcher, and I'm very excited today to be interviewing uh, the two authors of a very fascinating book. The book is titled Africa's Last Colonial Currency, out in 2021 from Pluto, translated from the original French. And we have both authors with us today to speak with us in English um, about their book, which is really quite a feat. So I'm very pleased to welcome... Fanny Pijou and Dr. Ndongo Samba Silla to the podcast to talk about their book. Welcome. Hi, Miranda. Thanks for the invitation. Hi, Miranda. I was wondering if, um, Fanny, perhaps you could start us off by introducing yourselves a little bit and explaining why you decided to write this book and write it together. Okay, so I'm I'm a French and a journalist, and I uh, work on um, African issues and about uh, the relationship between France and Africa. And maybe I, I should say uh, about Dongo too. Dongo is Senegalese and is a very brilliant economist working for the uh, Rosa Luxembourg Foundation in Dakar. And so why we decided to write this book? In fact, each of us um, had previously worked and written papers on the CFA Frank, but um, it was not enough because um, on one side, we, we can see that very few people in France are aware of the existence of the CFA Frank. And those who know how it works are even fewer. And on the other side, we can see in Africa, many citizens use the CFA franc daily, but don't have the good uh, information or the good uh, uh, resources to understand this uh, CFA system, this monetary system. So I think this situation is partly the result of kind of a taboo that the French authorities maintained um, about on the subject for decades. And... I think that one of the aims was uh, to maintain ignorance uh, to keep the safe franc alive as long as possible. So Dongo and I wanted to break through this wall of silence or ignorance, and we decided to write an easily accessible book explaining the history of the CFA, how it works, and what are the problems it raises, who benefits from it, and how to get out of this colonial monetary system, which concerns today 14 countries. So at the end, maybe this is a book about uh, French imperialism. Mm. Thank you for introducing yourselves, um, as well as really helpfully outlining for us what the book is trying, and I think succeeding in doing, um, and certainly something that um, is not particularly well known um, in France, in um, West Africa, but I think broader as well, this ignorance, um, and maybe this taboo extends farther. So hopefully we can help break that. Um, by interviewing and asking you guys both a little bit about um, the book and hopefully dispel some of those myths. So the obvious place to start is, of course, 
how was the CFA Franc created? What was this colonial pact with France? Oh, well, I could answer this question. Uh, let's start by the colonial pact because um, it is, uh, well, a reality that came before the advent of the CFA Franc. Uh, the expression in itself, colonial pact, uh, refers to the division of labor uh, between the European metropoles and their colonies. Uh, according to this division of labor, uh, the colonies were prohibited from industrializing as they were supposed to provide raw materials to their metropole in exchange for manufactured products. Uh, so the trade between metropoles and their colonies were based on exclusive and preferential terms. Uh, the metropoles also enjoyed a relative monopoly on the external trade of their colonies, including the shipment of, of, of goods. And in that perspective, the monetary and financial dimension uh, was an important pillar uh, of the colonial pact, uh, because colonial currencies were imposed to the populations uh, using physical violence and repressive legal provisions that prohibited the use of local currencies. Uh, despite colonial violence, Africans, and especially African women, uh, opposed a strong resistance to the francs which circulated uh, at that period in the African part of the French Empire uh, before the birth of the CFA franc. And the CFA franc itself was created officially on December 26, uh, 1945. Uh, that means in the aftermath of the Second World War. Uh, at that time, uh, the situation was the following. The French economies was really devastated by the war. Uh, there were many shortages and the inflation was very high. And at the same time, the foreign exchange reserves, the gold reserves of the French economy were depleted. And so the French currency had to be devalued against the pound selling, against the US dollar, etc. And uh, the there was a particular issue uh, because uh, at that time, as I said, the French franc was circulating throughout the French empire. And uh, this was called uh, monetary unity. That means uh, one currency for one, um, one empire. And so the issue that arose was the following. Uh, should the French franc be devalued uniformly across the empire so as to maintain the so-called monetary uh, uh, unity uh, or should the French franc be devalued using different rates to take into account the fact that uh, the French economy had been much more devastated uh, than uh, the economies of these colonies. Uh, secretly, uh, the French provisional government uh, took the second option, that, mean, uh, that means using different rates of devaluation. And uh, this decision gave birth to the so-called colonial francs, including the CFA franc and the Pacific franc. Uh, the two currencies were born at the same time, December 26, 1945. Uh, and when the CFA franc was created, it meant literally uh, franc of the French colonies in Africa. In French, we would say franc des colonies françaises d'Afrique. Uh, what was interesting at that time uh, was that the French authorities uh, decided to give the CFA franc a high external value. Uh, for example, one CFA franc equal to 1.70 French franc in 1945. This was not something seen, for example, uh, between the relationships, uh, the relationship between, uh, let's say, um, England and its African colonies. They had, I mean, reasonable uh, exchange rates. Uh, however, three years later, uh, uh, one CFA franc was exchanged with two French francs. That means the French franc uh, was lower in value, in external value, uh, first allowed in external value compared to the French franc. Uh, this high external value of the CFA franc was instrumental in helping France reconquer the trade shares it lost during the Second World War because during the war, uh, the trade ties between the metropole and its colonies were severe and so the French economy lost trade shares and so the CFA franc was instrumental in reconquering those lost trade shares uh, because as economists usually say, when you have an overvalued currency, that means a currency uh, which has an external value higher than economically justified, well, uh, this uh, currency will act as a 
subsidy to imports that means that it will be easier for the economy to to import goods abroad but at the same time it will also act as a tax on exports that means that well your competitiveness your ability to sell products abroad with some margin of profit will be uh, i mean impaired so that has been the historical role uh, initial role of the cfa franc thank you for explaining that um that's a really important historical background And in a lot of senses, it sort of sounds like the conclusion to that story will be, and then the countries became independent and created their own currencies. But of course, that's not what happened. (laughs) And the title of the book um, suggests pretty much what did happen, which is a really sort of odd situation where the countries using the CFA franc do become independent, and yet the currency remains how has this been possible even as these countries have become independent? Um, this is a very uh, insightful part of the story, I think. Um, you were right to, to stress that France is the only former colonial power that has managed to keep its colonial monetary empire intact. As you know, the Stalin zone, for example, disappeared with independence. So how France managed to do that? It's very simple. France organized in, the, in a very special way the decolonization of its sub-Saharan uh, African colonies in 1960. At that time, um, the French authorities brought in power leaders who were favorable to them after having politically or physically eliminated their leaders' movements and parties who were struggled for uh, independence. And then, in return for granting independence, the French government uh, made the new state sign uh, what it called cooperation agreements. Um, and these agreements were covering various fields like defense, trade, and exploitation of raw materials, economy, currency, finance, education, culture, etc. And concretely, these agreements were made to protect a kind of um, natural right of France over the African resources. And the idea was, of course, to ensure that France retained secure and low-cost access to African raw materials and that its uh, company had uh, easy access to markets and contracts on the continent. And the African presidents, African leaders, were left with no choice as they knew that uh, they could face reprisals if they uh, disobey. And we'll, we'll see this later, I think. And so this is how the CFA Frank survived independence. And um, maybe there is another important uh, point to keep in mind. Thank, thanks to these um, cooperation agreements, France was able uh, to maintain permanent military bases in Africa, um, which still exist today. So that's another part of the story uh, to to keep in mind uh, when you speak about CFA Frank. Mm, Definitely a good point. Thank you for making sure that that's included in our awareness. Um, Obviously, the CFA Frank is quite unique, right? As you said, it's the only one really that lasts um, after empire. And one of the helpful things about the book is that it explains how exactly the system works, um, which is, as you said at the very beginning, definitely not something that many of us are aware of. So I was wondering, Ndongo, if you could explain to us some of the unique features of the system as compared to maybe other monetary unions um, for example, one of the strange elements, what's an operations account? Uh, thanks, uh, Miranda, for this question. Well, I think the first thing to say is that being part of a monetary union in itself is not that obvious. I mean, after the empire. Uh, because uh, if you look at the IMF, or the International Monetary Fund membership, we have 190 members. And uh, only uh, 41 countries officially belong to a monetary union. And among those, obviously, you have the CFA franc, uh, the two blocks of the CFA franc. I mean, Central Africa and West Africa. Funny, just uh, uh, told why these blocks were, 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 were maintained. But the thing is, except for the Eurozone, there is no monetary union which has been which which is survived which has survived the um, I mean which is not 
uh, born during the colonial time. It is the the Eurozone only, which has been created, I mean, in the post-independence period. But the existing monetary unions, the two CFA franc blocks, and there's one another another monetary union in the Caribbean, the East Caribbean Currency Unit, those are the four monetary unions, the two CFA francs, the Caribbean, and the, the Eurozone. And only the Eurozone is a monetary union created in the post-independence period. So that means that monetary union is a very rare phenomenon. And uh, most monetary unions... I mean, have been created during colonial times uh, because colonial powers found it convenient uh, for a number of reasons to have it. For example, uh, it was convenient because having monetary unions uh, helped lower transaction costs, I mean, uh, uh, foreign exchange uh, costs when you convert currencies into one another. Uh, But monetary unification was also an important symbol of political authority and imperial pride. And um, now, uh, after the independence period, all the monetary blocks have been dismantled with the accession of former African colonies to to independence, except for the the CFA franc. And the thing is, uh, uh, the CFA franc is still a colonial currency, a colonial monetary union, in the sense that, well, uh, the system has been Africanized in the sense that, well, before the... um, I mean, the CFA franc was managed in Paris by French people, etc., white people, you see. Uh, but n- since the 1970s, the system has been so-called Africanized. We have the central banks in um, uh, in Africa, in Dakar, in Yaoundé. Uh, the staff is African. And so, well, people might think that now this is, a, this is an African currency, but no, it's not an African currency because the principles organizing uh, the CFA franc have not been altered since the creation of the CFA franc in uh, 1945. And those principles organizing the CFA franc, those pillars, are we have some of them. The first is the fixed exchange rate between the CFA franc and the French currency. That means the fixed exchange rate between the CFA franc and the French franc until 1999, and since then, uh, the peg against the, the euro. Uh, the second pillar is the free movement of income and capital between CFA franc countries and France, uh, meaning that while well, the French companies could repatriate their incomes, their capitals, without uh, much restriction. Uh, the third and important pillar, which uh, shows the uh, colonial character of this currency system, is the control of the French treasury of the CA- over the CFA franc management. Uh, and uh, this includes the management of CFA franc countries' foreign exchange reserves. When we talk about foreign exchange reserves, we mean the um, uh, international um, uh, uh, the payments in, I mean, the, uh, the international money they, they had at their at their disposal, and uh, uh, there is this uh, uh, concept you know, of of French guarantee, where the French treasury uh, promises to extend loans in French currency to the two central banks of the CFA franc zone, so the one in Central Africa and the other in in West Africa, and as a counterpart to that. Uh, these two central banks must deposit a share of, of their foreign exchange reserves in a special account of the French Treasury. And this special account is called an operations account. This is a concept not known to financial people, not known to economists, because this is a concept creating created during colonial times uh, by the French administration. Uh, uh, the first embryo of operation accounts dates back to 1878. You see, and um, after the independence, uh, the two central banks were obliged to deposit 100% of their foreign exchange at this operations account because uh, for each central bank, the treasury uh, opened an, an, uh, an account called the operation account where they would uh, hold their, their foreign exchange 100% after independences and it had been lowered to 50% from the mid-2000s. Uh, practically speaking, this means that, for example, if, let's say, uh, well, an exporter in uh, Cote d'Ivoire sells cocoa abroad, I mean sells cocoa to the U.S., this cocoa exporter, well, will be paid in U.S. dollar, but these U.S. dollars, uh, well, will, in fact, uh, part of this U.S. dollar, let's say that the Ivorian exporter uh, 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 gets, I mean, one million U.S. dollar for its cocoa. I mean, um, 
the counterpart in CFA franc will be created and will be given to the uh, Ivorian exporter. So the Ivorian exporter will receive uh, the equivalent of 1 million of US dollar in CFA franc. But the $1 million, at least half of it, will have to be deposited, will have to be deposited at the French Treasury because this is a legal requirement. This is uh, an agreement between the African countries and the French. And uh, yeah, so that, that's how this system uh, works. Uh, and among the, 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 the features that really uh, makes the CFA franc something unique uh, is really the... Um, the, the legal tutelage of the French government over, 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 over the CFA franc because you would not see that, let's say, in any other places. I mean, uh, no country is legally under the tutelage, monetary tutelage of another country. But this is something uh, that exists in the CFA franc because there are agreements, monetary cooperation agreements between CFA franc countries, monetary unions, and the French government so you have this and uh, one uh, one also evolution that is important is that with the abandonment of the french franc for the euro in 1999 the cfa franc is also under let's say the tutelage of the eurozone authorities and maybe we could talk about that uh, later uh something also to say is that it's very unusual for monetary unions uh, to have their currency pegged to another country's currency. Because normally, uh, when you are in a monetary union, that means that uh, the members, the individual members, are in a relationship of fixed exchange rate between themselves. Now, when you have this first level of fixed exchange rate and you take your currency, you peg it against another currency, this doesn't give you economic flexibility. And this is something you would see only during colonial times with colonial monetary blocks because they were but the colonial currencies were pegged against, let's say, the metropole, the metropole's currency. Uh, if you take, for example, the euro, well, it's the currency of a monetary union, but the euro is not pegged against the dollar or any other currency. That is something that is rather normal, but that is not the case with the, with the CFA franc. This is also a feature that uh, makes it really uh, singular. Hmm. Thank you for explaining to us the mechanisms that make the system work and comparing them to um, the Eurozone and other monetary unions. That really makes the colonial aspect um, of the monetary union very clear. So thank you for explaining that. Um, While we're in sort of the mechanisms of the currency, could you also please help us understand um, why convertibility was such an important guarantee in this process and help us understand whether it's been as valuable as it said it was going to be and if it has been valuable, to whom? Ah, Thank you for this important question about the convertibility, the guarantee of convertibility. Uh, What what I would like to say first is that, well, uh, the convertibility guarantee generally intimidates people. Uh, it looks like a very grandiloquent concept, but it is really simple to, to explain to people. It is just a promise. Uh, the French Treasury promises to extend loans denominated in French currency. That means uh, French franc before and since 1990. So the French Treasury uh, promises to extend loans denominated in French currency to each of the two central banks of the CFA franc zone. So whenever they lack for an exchange to make their payments abroad or to defend the pack of the CFA franc against the French currency, uh, the French Treasury promises that it could lend the desired amounts in French franc before in euros now. So this is the meaning of the guarantee of convertibility. It's a promise made by the French Treasury. But uh, there are some counterparts to this so-called guarantee of convertibility, two counterparts. First, the French government is represented uh, with veto power in the organs of the CFA franc zone central banks. Uh, we have two central banks, West Africa and Central Africa. And the French representatives are represented there and they have veto power. That means that the French government is sovereign over the CFA francs. It decides on monetary and exchange rate policy. No decision on monetary and exchange rate policy could be made without the approval of the French treasury. 
So this is a clear indication of the sovereignty of the French Treasury over the CFA francs. The second counterpart, uh, we already saw it, is the obligation of both central banks to deposit with the French Treasury at the operation accounts open for them a substantial share of their foreign exchange reserves. But what could we say about the, this French guarantee? Uh, for us, for Fanny and me, it's like a scam uh, to the extent that the rules are designed so that the CFA France central banks do not need to ask the French Treasury uh, to extend them loans. So you have rules saying that, well, whenever your, your stock of foreign exchange will deplete to one extent before zero, let's say, when you have 20%, let's say, of the central bank liabilities, uh, when the foreign exchange reserves represent 20% of central bank liabilities, uh, well, the French uh, treasury will uh, induce the central banks to take all necessary measures so that they will not arrive at a level where they will need to activate its guarantee. <laughs> so the rules are made so that the uh, so-called guarantee is superfluous. So that's how the system works. And uh, if ever uh, these countries, CFA fine countries, need to have access to loans in hard currency because they have an economic crisis or something like that, well, this is normally the job of the IMF to, to step in and to provide the liquidity in foreign currency, generally in exchange for austerity measures. But if we look at the data, the empirical data, we see that the, since the 1960s to now, uh, this so-called current guarantee of convertibility has been activated, activated only in the 1980s. I mean, during the international debt crisis. And it has been activated only to allow for the repatriation of income and capital by the French corporations. Uh, for most of the rest of the time, that means for more than five decades, the CFA francs uh, central banks have been net creditors vis-à-vis -vis the French Treasury. That means that uh, generally for more than five decades, they have been accumulated foreign exchange reserves at the operation accounts opened for them by the French Treasury. But it hasn't been the other way around, the French Treasury coming to lend their money. It seldom ha happens, and the, it, ha it happened only during the 1980s to allow for the repatriation of, of uh, let's say, French corporations' income and capital, because at that time there was the fear that the CFA franc could be uh, devalued. So that means that, practically speaking, African countries through their central banks have been lending money to the French Treasury. Uh, but uh, while people like us know this reality, uh, but generally, the French authorities are abusing with this, uh, abusing, the, I mean, the intelligence of, of people uh, using this argument, saying that, well, if the CFA franc exists, it's because we provide the guarantee. Without the guarantee, the CFA franc would be worthless. Uh, it, it would not, let's say, inspire trust to any investor, etc. So that is the logic they are, they are, they are using, but this is a the, the abuse uh, logic. But they are using that legitimate their involvement in CFA franc countries' economic and monetary affairs. And so who benefits from this guarantee? We could say that, uh, well, uh, the French government benefits from this so-called guarantee, inexistent guarantee, because it provides it a lever to uh, legitimately be involved in the management of the economic, monetary, and financial affairs of African countries. Uh, the French companies also benefit from the existence of this so-called guarantee. In fact, the, the presence of France in the institutions uh, managing the CFA franc. Uh, they benefit through at least through two aspects. Uh, they don't face a uh, transfer risk. By transfer risk, we mean that uh, there will be always enough hard currency to allow for the repatriation of income and capital from French corporations. Uh, the other, well, the risk they, are, uh, um, they do not face is the exchange rate risk, meaning that while well, these corporations will operate in an environment where the CFA franc value against the euro is always fixed. For example, well, uh, it's not always that the CFA franc will be devalued or the CFA franc value against the euro will change on a day-to-day -day basis. So they have this uh, certainty, and this is provided by the French presence 
in these uh, central banks. And the French presence in these central banks is based on the argument that the French are providing something called a guarantee of convertibility, which doesn't uh, exist. So the, gov- the French government and the French corporations gains politically and economically from this fiction we call the guarantee of convertibility. Thank you for explaining that. I think it was a really interesting part of the book to be taken through the mechanisms of it. Well, here's what it says. Here's how it's meant to work. And then the next bit of, well, here's how it actually does work in real life and how those things don't match up very well. So thank you for explaining kind of both sides of that to us so that we can understand kind of what's being promised and what's actually happening. And this leads me on to ask um, Fanny, you next, Um, because obviously, well, not necessarily obviously, but I think obviously, uh, countries, the West African sub-Saharan countries that um, are in the CFA franc, there are a lot of reasons why countries may not be happy with this arrangement and may try to break away or leave or resist this arrangement. Um, And Fanny, I was wondering if you could tell us about when this has been attempted and what happened when countries tried to leave. So um, this is um, a very important question to and to understand this uh, part of the story, we have to, to keep in mind that most of the presidents in power in the Frank Zone countries or the CFA countries are allies of France by choice or by necessity. They do not criticize the CFA Franc publicly because uh, they know that uh, this would mean opposite France. Um, but However, over the decades, uh, there were periods of tension. Um, In the early 1970s, for example, several African leaders called for a revision of the cooperation agreements signed in 1960 with France. And they were mainly focused on the agreement concerning the CFA front because they could easily see already at this this time that this currency raised many problems that uh, was not a currency favorable to their country, to their um, development. Uh, But in such tense situations, the French government always uh, uses the same technique. It first ignores... And when the tension is too high, it imposes a reform. But this is always cosmetic reforms. The changes are only of form and not of uh, substance. But it works well in general and takes the tension and pressure off uh, for a while. And what is worse is that France also uses violence against the opponents. France has repeatedly retaliated against um, leaders and intellectuals who criticize the CFA or seek to leave the CFA system. And we first saw that in um, 1960 uh, with the case of Guinea. Guinea was the first to experience um, the difficulty of breaking away from France. Uh, The country, maybe you know that, had uh, gained independence in 1958 against the wishes of the French authorities. At the beginning, uh, the independent Guinea continued to use the CFA franc, but two years later, so in 1960, it decided to launch its national currency, the Guinean franc. And that was not a good news for France. So the French government organized an operation to torpedo this new currency. The secret services printed uh, false Guinean franc notes and sold them on the Guinean market, which led, uh, of course, to the collapse of the economy. And, of course, Paris did so to discourage the other countries of the franc zone to launch their own currency. Um, France was fair to, to, to lose his influence in the area, of course. And in the year following, in the years following, uh, the French government broke 
all um, all the attempts uh, of monetary emancipation. And we can see also the case of the first Togolese president, um, Sylvanus Olympio, who was assassinated in 1963 in very troubled conditions by a group of Togolese soldiers closely linked to, to France. Uh, and Olympio was uh, about to launch a national currency for his country. So his plan was abandoned by his uh, successor, of course. Um, we can also uh, speak about more recently uh, events um, in Côte d'Ivoire. Uh, we saw France using the CFA system as a repressive tool to direct the political trajectory of um, this country according to its interest. Um, you remember that in, um, in uh, twenty. Uh, 11 during the post-election election crisis in Côte d'Ivoire, France uh, used the institutions of the CFA franc to organize a financial asphyxiation of the Ivory Coast um, to put pressure on Laurent Gbagbo, the outgoing Ivorian president, and to support uh, Alassane Ouattara, uh, who was a protégé of um, French President Nicolas Sarkozy. And with the same means um, were used um, this year in early 2022 to punish um, the transitional authorities in Mali. So at the end, since uh, 1960, only two countries have left the franc zone, and that's Mauritania and Madagascar in 1973. Um, we can explain that because, uh, well, Madagascar, for example, was able to leave the zone for, the, for several reasons. Um, the Malagasy um, leaders at, the, at that time had a strong social base and a clear objective. But on the opposite side, opposite side, French power was divided. President Pompidou was not very interested in Madagascar, while the Ministry of Finance uh, wanted to keep the island in the French zone. But at the end, the Malagasy leaders won the duel that um, lasted several months between France and Madagascar. So, yes, um, that's the story of uh, the CFFN violence and, and repression. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Mm, a very important part, um, particularly going back to what you said earlier about the agreements for French military bases, right? This is not unrelated, the idea that uh, the French state continues to use violence in former colonies. Um, but I, I want to come to a point that has been mentioned a little bit um, in Dongo, actually, by you in an earlier answer um, about how the CFA Franc operates within um, kind of more modern or at least post-colonial um, financial institutions. And obviously, we've spoken a little bit about the euro, um, but the way that the CFA Franc operates within the euro is quite interesting. They're both monetary unions, but as you've already explained, quite different ones. Um, how also does the CFA franc operate within, for example, the IMF? Yeah, that is a very good question. And uh, generally, people uh, do not know exactly uh, what is going on inside the IMF uh, regarding the, the CFA franc. And there have been some historical ties, I mean, between the CFA franc zone and IMF uh, uh, starting let's say from the birth of the CFA franc uh, because as uh, as we told earlier uh, the CFA franc was born on December 1945 and it was declared at the International Monetary Fund uh, which was just born at that time uh, and it was declared by the French provisional government uh, and uh, when the CFA franc countries also got their independence their membership to the institutions of the United Nations, including the IMF, uh, was facilitated diplomatically by France. So there has all there have always been always been a kind of a triangular relationship between France, IMF, and the CFA Franc countries. And uh, what is interesting in the case of the IMF is that well, 
since this institution has been created, I mean, in 1944, 1945, when it started to work, uh, until now, uh, the role, uh, the position of IMF managing director has often been occupied by French citizens. And uh, the French citizens who occupy this, this, this position of IMF managing director, generally they have done their career at the Bank of France or at the French Treasury. And people from the Bank of France and the French Treasury, generally they know relatively well how the CFA franc functions and its importance for the French government and for French companies. Uh, so that means that any uh, influence within the IMF that could potentially, I mean, um, harm, uh, let's say, French interests or criticize the CFA franc generally tends to be muted due to the influence exercised by France uh, within the, the IMF. And um, there are examples uh, we, we could give, and some examples were given in, in our books. Uh, the first thing to say is that, well, uh, in times of economic crisis, uh, generally African countries are expecting that, well, um, that the French will provide their so-called convertibility guarantee. But what often happens is that uh, France uh, will hide behind the IMF uh, to impose austerity, privatization, sometimes for the benefit of French companies, and also related uh, austerity policies. Uh, all of that in order to not activate its so-called convertibility guarantee. And the thing is also uh, the IMF reports on the CFA franc zone uh, because every year uh, the IMF publishes reports on the economic uh, set of play uh, of the two uh, monetary blocks using the CFA franc. And uh, generally, uh, when you are used to read IMF reports on given countries, you see that there is there's a marked difference between the usual IMF reports and the IMF reports uh, concerning the CFA franc zone. Because in that particular case, uh, you would see that these reports uh, bear the imprint of the French Treasury. They do not display the usual style of the, the IMF. Uh, because you would see, for example, uh, some complacency vis-à-vis uh, -vis the so-called French guarantee, and you would not see any, uh, let's say, criticism about the detrimental consequences of the CFA franc uh, overvaluation. And the fact is that there is a former World Bank uh, economist and also leading expert on the CFA franc. His name is Ali Zafar. He recently published a book on the CFA franc. Uh, in his book, he says, well, I suspect that the IMF uses methods that underestimate the overvaluation of the CFA franc. And I think he's, he, he has a point. Mm. This, uh, one, other, one other aspect is also uh, due to the, I mean, to the, to this, uh, uh, let's say, uh, important uh, influence France uh, has within the IMF. Uh, the IMF itself is not always entirely consistent in its policy recommendations when it comes to CFA franc countries. Uh, for example, uh, generally we know that the IMF is really critical against overvalued exchange rates. Uh, in such circumstances, generally the IMF advocates a currency devaluation. This was a situation of CFA franc countries and most African countries in the 1980s. Uh, the IMF advocated the CFA franc devaluation, but France say, no, we refuse the devaluation. Uh, in other African countries, having a similar context, their currencies were devalued, but we did not see, see the IMF complain about that. In 1994, maybe uh, Fanny will say a word about that, there had been a devaluation of the CFA franc. Uh, what happened was that France worked in tandem with the IMF to impose a devaluation that was opposed by most CFA franc zone heads of government. Uh, but the IMF and France told them, you either devalue or you are cut off from international aid. But what is interesting here is that the work of IMF economists at that time showed that the rate of devaluation of 50% was not justified for all countries using the CFA franc. 
for them and for most of i mean the economists it would have been much more coherent economically speaking to have different ways of devaluation to account for the heterogeneity of national situations rather than having a single blunt and harsh rate of devaluation of 50 percent but this scenario that means having different rates of devaluation would have implied that each country of the CFA franc zone starts to issue its national currency. But this move would have spelled the end of the CFA franc zone, and France did not want that option. So that means that there have been technical work done at the IMF saying that uh, it doesn't make any sense to devalue by 50% for all countries, but politically speaking, they backed a decision imposing 50% devaluation for all countries, and with the result that, well, uh, there had been inflation, but I think uh, Fanny will talk about that. So regarding the Eurozone, we could say that, well, uh, when France decided to uh, abandon its uh, French franc for the Euro, uh, it negotiated the peg of the CFA franc against the against the Euro. Hey, well, uh, the French did not want to uh, put an end to the France zone, to the CFA France zone, and wanted to to maintain its influence despite that well the french franc would be abandoned so the french negotiated with the european peace and they said well we want we will no longer have our national currency but we want to pack the cfa franc to the euro and we want also to maintain the same level of influence but some european countries well were not convinced because they thought that it could provide an unfair advantage to France and so on. But still, uh, there was a compromise. And this compromise was, let's say, materialized in a decision uh, from the European Union Council dated November 23rd, 1998. And in this legal document, there are some provisions, for example, that uh, the Eurozone political and monetary authorities, for example, the European Central Bank and some, uh, uh, let's say, institutions linked to the European Central Bank, they must be informed beforehand in case the CFA franc is to be devalued, in case the CFA zone is to be enlarged to new members, or in case the provisions of the so-called French guarantee are to be modified. So that means that since the advent of the Euro in 1999, yeah, there is a relationship of double tutelage uh, exercise by the French government, the European Zone political monetary authorities over the CFA franc zone. Hmm. Thank you for explaining that. Um, it definitely helps put the CFA franc into sort of today's and how our financial systems work now. Um, and really, again, emphasizes um, the amount of control that's not within the hands of the African countries. Um, and obviously, devaluation comes up rather a lot. It's a pretty important um, part of the story in the book and obviously what you're explaining to us now. Um, so Fanny, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about the impacts on France and on countries in the CFA franc zone um, when the French franc was devalued, um, as we've already heard a little bit about what happened when the CFA currencies um, were devalued. Yeah, what, what happened is that uh, the French franc was um, devalued uh, several times over the decades uh, to restore um, the economic competitiveness of France. And each time the CFA franc was devalued uh, to the same extent in order to maintain the parity with the French franc. Um, and for example, when uh, the French French franc was devalued in January 1945, 48, sorry, uh, by 44% against the dollar. Uh, the CFA franc also had to fall by uh, 44%. And that means that this, the CFA uh, countries were subjected to a decision that did not concern them and was not necessarily adapted to their economy. And they suffered from other impacts. Uh, if you take the devaluation of um, the French franc in 1969, um, it resulted uh, in a loss of value for their external uh, resources, which were then mainly held in France, as uh, at that time they had to deposit all the external reserves with the French treasury. 
And we must note that France should have consulted uh, the African countries before this devaluation. But guess what? <laughs> they did not. She didn't. It did not. Sorry. Um, and by acting like that, Paris uh, violated the monetary cooperation agreements. Uh, and uh, so, on two occasions, uh, France decided to change the parity of the CFA franc with the French franc. Uh, in 1948 and also in 1994, as Ndongo uh, uh, said. In 1944, uh, there was, and Ndongo said also that uh, there was against the winning of the majority of uh, African leaders. And so, um, why uh, France decided to devalue the CFA by uh, 50%? Patient. Uh, that's because at that time, uh, the countries of the French zone were going through a serious crisis. Their foreign exchange reserves had fallen uh, significantly. And France, France at that time, and Dongo said also that before, uh, should have exercised its so-called guarantee by lending them the desired amount of francs that could help sustain the peg. But it preferred, Paris preferred, uh, with the support of the IMF, to devalue. And as you can imagine, um, this caused a strong shock in the franc zone. The fall, of, the, the fall of the CFA exchange rate stimulated an increase of the prices of imported goods and food, of which the CFA countries are major consumers, but also domestic prices. And as their foreign debts were largely denominated in foreign currencies, um, the burden of this debt expressed in CFA franc increased too. And at the end, only agricultural countries such as Côte d'Ivoire and Cameroon uh, recorded some positive effects as the prices of agricultural products are set in foreign currencies. The evaluation uh, indeed increased the value of their export earnings uh, in CFA francs. Very interesting um, to understand, again, different aspects of it to give us a better picture. Um, and I think... This brings up the really interesting point of monetary stability, because, of course, this is one of the things that supporters of this system say is a real benefit of being in a monetary union gives stability. Um, But Ndongo, I'm wondering if you can help us understand um, from your perspective, how much do you think there is this monetary stability benefit? And if there is a benefit, who is benefiting from it? Yeah, that's an excellent question um, because, you know, um, one of the main arguments for the uh, legitimation of the CFA franc, I mean, uh, the arguments justifying why this colonial monetary system uh, should persist is that, well, uh, CFA franc countries, they enjoy monetary stability. And by monetary stability, well, this is also a very <laughs> grand looking concept, but it's simple. They mean two things, basically. The first thing is that the CFA franc exchange rate, that means, for example, the CFA franc value against the euro or the dollar, etc. Uh, well, the CFA franc exchange rate enjoys a relative strength. Uh, because it is pegged to a strong, to a strong currency, which is credible, etc. You know, and so well, other African currencies generally they tend to depreciate over the medium and long terms, but this is not the case of the CFA franc. So this is one aspect of monetary stability. The second aspect is that well, the CFA franc using countries, they have lower average inflation rates. Uh, compared to the African peers. That means that from year to year, uh, the price increases, average price increases, are lower in CFA franc countries compared to the African peers. Well, uh, both points are empirically true. CFA franc countries, they have uh, more stable exchange rates, I mean nominal exchange rates, and also uh, lower rates of inflation. And you could take one telling example, is the case of my country, Senegal. Uh, when you take uh, Senegal's average annual rate of inflation uh, measured by, uh, I mean, a common indicator, the the consumer price index, when you measure that indicator between 1996, uh, that means after the devaluation, until 2019, before the pandemic, uh, you will see that uh, my country, Senegal, uh, uh, recorded an average annual inflation rate lower than all the countries of the world, <laughs> except for Japan. 
<laughs> so the, the data come from the World Bank, and uh, well, it shows clearly that Senegal outperformed on this indicator. Uh, the U.S., Germany, China, South Korea, etc. So when you see that, well, one question that comes to mind is: Is this a great achievement? And uh, answer is: It depends, because uh, having a low inflation rate and a stable exchange rate, they might be desirable, uh, but they are intermediate goals. They are not final goals. The most important economic goal, especially for a developing country, is economic development. That means achieving higher income growth per capita, uh, increased domestic capabilities, more integration between African countries, etc. So, on the final economic goals, we see that the CFA fund countries they have recorded dismal performances, and the thing is that most of them uh, are ranked among the LDCs, the least developed countries. Let's take one example, the case of Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, Cote d'Ivoire is the most important country of the CFA fund country zone in terms of economic weight. Uh, but the thing is, Cote d'Ivoire recorded its best level of real income per capita in 1978. When we say real income per capita, we are meaning uh, the average income uh, per capita uh, and uh, well, this is uh, measured uh, with adjustment for inflation and exchange rate variation. So this is a measure of long-term productivity. Uh, so you see that Cote d'Ivoire, uh, the biggest economy in the CFA franc zone, they achieved their best level of real income per capita in 1978. Uh, in 2016, their real income per capita was one third lower than this 1978 level. So you see the uh, level of economic decline in Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, but this is not reserved to Cote d'Ivoire. You would see the same pattern of long-term economic stagnation or decline for most of the CFA franc countries. Uh, I mean, you take the case of Gabon. Uh, well, um, uh, the Gabonese, uh, the average, uh, I mean, uh, Gabonese citizen was uh, much was richer, I mean, in 1978, now in 1976, uh, compared to now, because between 1976 and now, their income, real income per capita, uh, has been divided by two. It helped basically. This is the same story for Cameroon, same story for uh, Congo uh, Republic, and in Senegal, it has been the same story until the 2015. So that means long-term economic uh, decline or, or stagnation. So uh, these elements, for me, uh, and um, allow us to, uh, relate, uh, I mean to relativize this argument of monetary stability uh, because this so-called monetary stability is achieved in a context of impoverishment for the majority and also economic exploitation by foreign capital, including French capital. Uh, and if I, if I were to give an image, I would say that the CFA franc supporters, they take pride in a low inflation rate that is achieved by asphyxiating the economies by drastically reducing domestic credit creation. Because if there is no money created, I mean, if there is limited credit creation, well, you won't have, I mean, uh, exaggerated levels of, uh, of of inflation, but that would imply that you will still remain under underdeveloped. Uh, but this uh, rhetoric of um, monetary stability uh, has also been tested by the recent developments uh, happened that happened in the aftermath of the COVID nineteen pandemic and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Of Ukraine, why? Uh, because currently, CFA franc countries are experiencing nearly two digit rates of inflation, something they did not knew of, I mean, uh, since the 1970s, you see. Uh, and this inflation is fed to some extent by the depression depreciation of the euro against the US dollar because we have seen that the, the dollar has been appreciating and uh, other currencies have been depreciating. So when you peg your currency to the, to, to the euro 
and the dollar appreciates, that means your currency will depreciate against US dollar. That is what is happening with the CFA franc. And now people start to see why the CFA franc back to the euro is so dysfunctional. Because the CFA franc country's external trade is mostly invoiced in US dollars. Uh, the critical products they buy, the critical products they import, are most of them priced in US dollars. So whenever the euro depreciates against the US dollar, as, uh, as it is happening currently, the prices of the imports and will will increase, and uh, this will stimulate uh, what is called imported inflation. That means the inflation comes from abroad because you are uh, importing uh, the same goods but at higher prices. And so, when the euro depreciates, also uh, the domestic currency burden of the debt service uh, tend to increase because a significant share of CFF and countries' foreign debt is denominated in US dollar. So despite the fact that the inflation rates remain lower in CFA countries compared to most African countries, uh, people are starting to see the economic consequences of having a PEC motivated mostly by the French government's desire to control the economy, finance and trade of its former colonies. Mm. So on this idea of people beginning to see these things, and of course your work, the both of you in this book, is definitely helping with that. Um, as, our, as my last question, Fanny, can I ask you to update us on the current state of affairs regarding the CFA franc and various reactions to it now in 2022? Yeah, um, uh, uh, what we can see is that uh, for about five years now, or maybe seven years, um, there has been a growing protest from civil society organizations. In Senegal, for example, you, you have a coalition of uh, activists uh, who is called uh, Front um, pour une révolution anti-imperialiste populaire et pan-african, which means in English Front for People's Anti-Imperialist and Pan-African Revolution. And this uh, coalition uh, launched a slogan uh, France dégage, which means France out, get out. And there is a lot of demonstration against France in several countries, um, in West Africa especially. And uh, the the, the people, in fact, don't tolerate uh, anymore the French policy. um, uh, That means uh, France CFA, the CFA franc, and uh, the strong French military presence in the Sahel, especially. Um, And what we we can also observe is that uh, we now have some African opponents like uh, Mamadou Koulibaly in Côte d'Ivoire and uh, Ousmane Sonko in Senegal, who strongly criticize publicly uh, the CFA franc. People obviously are less uh, afraid to speak out uh, than they used to be. So uh, how France uh, reacts to this mobilization? Well, Paris uh, always used the same uh, technique. Um, so that means that uh, French government has made a reform uh, to, silence, to silence the protesters. In December um, 2019, uh, the president Macron announced uh, with the president of uh, um, Côte d'Ivoire, Alassane Ouattara, um, both announced uh, from Abidjan to everyone's surprise a reform of the West African CFA franc, and the reform was uh, was for sure prepared by the French Treasury. And the French authorities made a lot of publicity around this reform to say that it put an end to the CFA franc, but in reality, it has changed the functioning of the CFA franc of for West Africa uh, a little bit, but does not put an end to the monetary trusteeship link. Um, indeed, the reform puts um, nominally an end to the presence of French representatives to the central banks, um, government, uh, governing bodies. And it, the reform also removes the uh, obligation for the central bank to deposit 50% of its um, foreign exchange reserve with the French treasury. But in fact, these measures were replaced by other very similar control mechanisms. So uh, France, therefore, remains in control of the system. And rather than um, committing to the demands of um, people, the French officials prefer to accuse the dissident, dissident 
tempting voice of falling into populism or uh, surfing on the wave of what they call anti-French sentiment. And we must also note that um, there's an aspect of the reform announced uh, in uh, 2019 um, which created tensions and confusions uh, in the region because Macron announced that the West African CFA franc would be renamed ECHO. But the name ECHO already exists. It is the name chosen for a single currency project on which ECHO was, uh, which uh, brings together 15 West African countries, including eight from the franc zone, has been working for several decades. So uh, uh, France stole the name ECHO, in fact, and Nigeria was uh, particularly uh, um, angry. And uh, uh, what we can see is that, in fact, France doesn't want the ECOWAS project to succeed because it would mean... uh, of course, that France would leave the region's monetary system and lose a larger part of uh, its influence in the area. So um, today, um, um, yes, we we we, we can um, see the ECOWAS project postponed. And also, that the name of the CFA has not changed. In fact, no one brings up the idea of calling it ECO anymore. So. The CFA is still alive. And as we explain in the book, um, Dongo and I believe that the solution is uh, for the countries to, of the CFA uh, um, zone would, in fact, uh, to, to each create their uh, own currency and to set up a solidarity system to pull part of their reserves. And so that that would be the way to, to put an end to the, the CFA. And we economists like um, Samir Amin uh, have been working for a long time on this type of uh, alternative to the CFA franc. So perhaps <laughs> we will see this scenario come true in the years to come. Um, but what is sure is that uh, we are reaching, I think, um, a turning point in uh, Africa's relations uh, with France, especially in light of uh, growing competition with China uh, or Russia. So, yeah... The CFA is still alive, but for how many for how many years we don't know. Hmm. Fascinating. Well, what a great time to um, come out with this book and for us to be able to ask you about it and hear about the work and um, to understand this really important turning point and debate. So again, to remind the listeners, uh, the book is titled Africa's Last Colonial Currency, the CFA Frank Story from Pluto in 2021. Um, Fanny and Dongo, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast. Thank you for your invitation. Thank you very much, Miranda.